I should get a cackle in because just in case you start laughing, I have a hearty laugh and yeah, I can yeah, make, like, make, make you peek. Yeah. Um, tell a joke. Where do cows go on Saturday nights? Wow. <laughs> do you know this joke? <laughs> the movies? The movies. <laughs> um, I might laugh a little bit louder than that. So. Oh, that's fine. Ha! 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 <laughs> Can you please uh, add actor to your resume? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you that? I mean, I probably won't be that loud. Oh, please be that loud. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Hi, I'm Stage and Stages Lynn Manuel Miranda, and you're listening to The Hamilcast. Boots and cuts and boots and cuts. <laughs> <laughs> When somebody like Kurt says, I don't know if I have anything to say, that's because somebody like Kurt just has to be. Right. And by Kurt being, everything is better yes. <laughs> automatically. Yes, we, we, yeah, Kurt is Kurt calm. and we're, we're much better for okay. it. Okay. Yeah. All right, let me do, wait, I have to do the intro, do the it. official intro. Let's go. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hamilcast. I am Jillian. Today, I am joined, oh my goodness, Will Wells, hashtag hip hop horse. Wow. <laughs> Party people, what's going on? <laughs> So Will Wells, I already we did a run through of this intro, but you're you're the electronic music producer for Hamilton, but you're also a zillion other things. I mean, you're a musician, <laughs> producer, all around badass. Wow! So I appreciate you being here so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor, <laughs> especially being uh, preceded by so many incredible people that I respect so much. It really is an honor to be here. Oh, and, thank and you. Get to talk today and yeah. hopefully share some stories. It sounds like you've heard everything. No, we've already been through things that that uh, I don't know anything about. But look, even if I've heard it, you made you know the 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 badass bullets that Lack told me about. Like I haven't heard that from you. Right. So I want to hear from your perspective. We can get into it. Okay. Um, but before we do all of that, you have worked with so many people. Logic, who my husband Mike loves. We were just listening to him uh, before you got here. Uh, Ariana Grande, Demi Lovato, Quincy Jones, Imagine Dragons, Wu-Tang Clan, LMFAO, Anthony Ramos, Jasmine Cephas Jones. Bring it on. So just tell the people exactly what it is you do, which I know is is difficult for someone who has I, I mean you kind of have you have one big resume but you can also have like 12 different resumes depending on the job <laughs> you, you're you're gonna do you know what I mean yeah so tell the people like who you are and how you got to be the sir Will Wells wow <laughs> N- not quite knighted yet but uh oh oh in this room you are <laughs> sir Lack <laughs> sir Kurt oh yeah, yeah yeah wow yeah um I like to think at least that what I do is create things that make people feel things. Mm-hmm. And that's all I ever really want to do. It's oh, the best answer. Sometimes it might, na- might not make you feel a good thing, or sometimes it might reveal something that you didn't realize you were feeling, but I like to create things that make people feel things. Yeah. Oh, I love that answer. Yeah. Also, I forgot to mention, you like tequila. So the cocktail here is kind of, it's many cocktails. It is a, uh, a Mixed Master Mike, my husband Mike, uh, who's not here, who will probably come home with pizza later, um, nice. is and, and join us, is the sampler, because you use samples all the time. So we have a strawberry margarita, a regular margarita, and then just like a shot of the, the tequila that you love, the, what is it, the... Casamigos, baby, let's go. The Blanco, right? Yeah, we have it. Brilliantly devised, by the way. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> I know she said there would be a specialty cocktail, but I see like three drinks coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not reaching for any of them. I have my own over here. Um, yeah, so there's more where that came Wasserman from. Wasserman might have told me that, you know, 
there might be some drinks. Yeah, I don't mess around. Well, I knew there was going to be a drink, but yeah, wow. I, I, you're the only one who's actually ever gotten four, four like with the water plus three. Just you know, <laughs> above we have and options. beyond. I like options. I like having options well, here. Cheers to that. Well, cheers. Clink, clink, oh. clink, clink. If I'm slurring my speech by the end of this podcast, you know why. Look, I had the great idea of taking the Patreon peeps questions towards the end of the recording where I have to read them. <laughs> so Patreon peeps. I, yeah, I'm up? Really Wells in the <laughs> building. <laughs> DJ Clue. <laughs> DJ Buttons. Yeah, DJ Buttons for Let's sure, go. yeah. I'm just going back to the the old school Hot 97 DJ Clue days where Let's go Power 99 in Philly. Yeah. Yeah, because you're from South Jersey, right? I am. I don't know why you're shocked I do my research. <laughs> she could see it in my eyebrows. I was like, I am. Because we mentioned Bring It On, and you were like, how did you, how know, did you know about Bring It On? I'm like, you think I didn't? I mean, you and I also went, I guess, in different years, but to the the Alex Lackamore School of Preparation and Organization. Facts. Yeah. I mean, you have a, an Excel spreadsheet open on your computer, so. <laughs> <laughs> she outed me. <laughs> you guys will get to that. Don't you worry. Um, so how did you know that you wanted to do what you do i mean I, I i my listeners are the best and they are such uh creative driven passionate people so i love talking to people who who have jobs that are not necessarily like on a hundred percent of like you can go to school for this yeah well you first know? of all what's a job yeah. Oh, yeah. I also, I, I'm with you. I don't have a nine to five kidding. thing. I'm yeah, working. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, totally. Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, how did I know I, I wanted to do what I do? Because it's, I don't want to say it's all that I've ever done, mm. but in a way, it's almost all that I've ever known. Yeah. You know, that that made me feel fulfilled, that sometimes felt effortless. Working on music, you mean, or being in yeah, that? Yeah, creating. Yeah, creating. You know, it started with writing. I wanted to be a writer when I was a child. I started a book when I was in elementary school called The Adventures of Umfa Strong, which I need to find the manuscript for that, by the way. And yes. I wanted to be published, and I was all excited about that. And then we moved to middle school, and the story develops from there, which okay. I can get into a little bit later, about how I actually landed on music, because I was an athlete at first. yes. And there is a heart-wrenching, dramatic story about how that all took a turn. Mm -hmm. I say heart-wrenching, and you'll understand why soon. I do know. Well, tell me. You tell me. You do, wow. So you know that is. Well, you probably just recently watched the video from "Cry Today, Smile Tomorrow" that came out, which might have given away no. some twists and turns from the story. Or did you learn it from somewhere else? I just did a little bit of research, Will Wells. Wow. I think it was an interview that you did, or you just okay. mentioned. Well, let's tell the people. Yes. Let's not okay, keep them all right, in suspense. Okay, right, so I'll tell the story, and then you go ding, 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 ding. If it's right, it's so, your story. It doesn't. It's it great. is. If, it's, if you're telling it, it's right. There yeah. is no right so, or wrong. Middle school, very much into athletics. I ran track and field. That was my uh, sport. I was like, what yeah. is it? What do they call it again? Sports. The, the sports <laughs> ball. The sports ball. Right, right. Uh, my dad was track and field too. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And obsessed. Like when I see the Olympics. Yeah. For example, like my heart still gets pumping. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, when it's, it's, it's sympathetic vibrations, right? To get nerdy on you. If you sit at a piano and there's a guitar that's not muted sitting somewhere in the room and you play an E, that guitar's E is going to start singing back to you. They're called sympathetic vibrations. And Wait, really? Yeah. It's like, have you ever pressed down the pedal on a, uh, the sustain pedal on a piano and sang into it and you notice it resonates? No, but I love that you... So think that maybe there's a possibility that I have. <laughs> next time you're at a piano, okay. 
press down the sustain slash damper pedal. Which one is that? The first, third, or second? Uh, I mean, the first, second, or third. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we haven't had that many. Yeah, yet. <laughs> no, my ADHD is thinking like in, no, in terms fine. of what it's my... the one all the way to the right. Usually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Press that down. Okay. Sing into the piano, and as long as you have that pressed down, it'll sing back to you. And that's called a sympathetic vibration. Oh, that's so cool. And that works in so many different... We're going down a, a you know rabbit hole slash on a tangent, but that's fine because no, it, well, it, it actually matters. It's music um, o'clock. I mean, like musician o'clock, we, we, we love it here. In that so it's the same reason why, let's see, things resonate. Mm-hmm. So, and it, it gets kind of into the metaphysical world as well. But like when people say, oh, you know, our energy or we're vibing, right? Totally. It's literally what that means. Uh-huh. We are vibing. We have a sympathetic vibration yes. with one another. So if you um, sing into a piano and whatever note you sing, the piano is going to sing it back to you because there is something tuned specifically to that frequency that will vibrate oh while you emit that frequency. That is so yeah. cool. It's a, it's a very cool phenomenon. But so a thing that I was vibrating with uh, was track and field. And I said that because when I see somebody running on screen, like I want to start running. Mm-hmm. And it takes me back to childhood too. Like with my siblings, we watched uh, Rocky. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. we'd all be in the living room like trying to box each other, uh-huh. you know, because yeah. yeah, yeah. we run up those that. stairs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but when I was in eighth grade, mm-hmm. I was having some growing pains like children do. We sure. start stretching, our bodies start expanding yeah and uh you know there's you you feel it you very much feel it and uh along with that some pains in my chest my mother was like okay we're gonna go check that out we're gonna go see what's going Mm. on and so i saw a doctor did some tests and they were like yeah it is growing pains nothing out of the ordinary but we did find this one thing (laughs) so a little out of the the ordinary (laughs) yeah but completely unrelated to the reason i came in like okay. no relation whatsoever. And they said, maybe you should see a cardiologist. And so I go to see uh, a, a cardiologist. I believe his name is Dr. Anderson. Mm-hmm. And it turns out they, con- they discovered a congenital condition that I had, which was that my left coronary artery, instead of being on the left side, was connected, was on the right side, connected like a Y cable. Uh-huh. And it went over to the left side in between my aorta and the pulmonary artery. And because of the path that it took... If I ever did anything that caused my heart to pump a lot of blood, these main blood vessels, large blood vessels, the pulmonary artery and the aorta, cause risk of compression for the left coronary artery. Because it was crossing like over In between. It's like as if you put a string in between two balloons Mm -hmm. and you blow the balloons up, that string is going to get squished in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what that means is sudden death. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh yeah, you didn't know we were going to go there. Yeah, no, totally. But <laughs> but yeah, that but is really running, the beginning of the beginning the of the story. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And so what that meant for me was that I had to stop everything, athletic, and also there were some other things that I was dealing with through adolescence, through middle school, like temper. You know. Well, I was going to ask you what is. I mean, your heart can race for. A hundred reasons, being happy, exhilarated, excited, nervous, scared. I mean, when you're in eighth grade, you're feeling all of those things almost a hundred percent of the time. Exactly. (laughs) From minute to minute. So was it emotions or was it actually physical? Could it be all of those things? It could have been anything. Oh my God. This was just the state. Congenital means from birth. Yeah. So this is what I was born with. And so they said, you have to stop everything (laughs) right now. But I also, I had a little bit of a temper problem. Okay. You know, I'm an emotional person, as anybody that knows me knows well. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, you know, when you're in middle school, you you don't exactly uh, have a handle on that quite yet. You're exploring the range of emotions and how you express, and so I think it it, it changed a lot of things because uh, I had to rein it in. I couldn't lose my temper anymore because it meant risk of death, and so and I became a gym excuse kid because I wasn't even allowed to take gym. I wasn't allowed to play outside. Uh huh. I wasn't allowed to do anything. Well, it's not an excuse when there's a threat on your life. No, no, they technically called it gym excuse. <laughs> like I was your school ex- did. I was excused from gym. Oh, I thought you meant like I was one of those kids who just like made up an excuse where I was no, like, my I, stomach hurts today. I was I don't excused do from gym, ball. so I went to the library instead. Oh, great! But at that same time, I was just getting into uh, music a little bit more seriously. I, I learned how to play piano by ear. No way. Um, from listening to all the records that my siblings listened to <sighs> as a child and, and my parents as well. And literally note by note, learning how to play them. You and Mike Moyes. Mike Moyes told me the same thing where he was plunking out uh, Angeloid Weber when he was like a kid, four or five or whatever, just like by just like. Bah, bah, I mean, bah, that's bah, on bah. another level. That's ne- Mike Moyes. That's next level. It's I'm next talking level. about Mandy Moore, Only Hope, but still, you know. <laughs> Rewind because we were using CDs back then, kids. Oh, yeah. Back then, you guys, there was a CD player. So that means compact disc. And then you would have a little like a case where all you would have all your favorite CDs. Exactly. With the, the we called it a disc man back then. Yeah, somebody was just like, I'm still using a CD player. Um, and when you rewound it, it actually made a noise. Like you could hear the CD spinning mm-hmm. to rewind. Oh, yeah. And then sometimes you were like, oh no, if it's spinning too much, like is there a problem? If it was like in your CD player. And it was a big thing if you had that CD player that had like the three disc oh, multi-disc changer. multi-disc players. Skipping was a vibe too. Yeah. When the CD started skipping, that could create remixes. I was going to say. Um, but all that being said, what, you know what that meant was I had a lot more time to focus on that instead of sports endeavors because I was just starting to get into wrestling as well. Oh, wow. Which is, it was in the middle of training for wrestling season in eighth grade that I had to stop everything. And so July 1st, 2003, I had open heart surgery. And after that, I was actually out of the hospital in three days at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Incredible. Yeah. Like I kind of didn't want to leave. That seems, I have no experience with this. That seems quick. It was fast. They said it was the fastest they had ever seen. I don't know if they were just gassing me up. I Um, I don't think so. Gassing me up. (laughs) Get it? Yeah, bad jokes. I'm full of them. All my friends know. (laughs) See, this is when I'll use the. (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. (laughs) That we did. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And um, yeah, I was cleared. And by September, I was even cleared to play football. Really? Freshman year of high school. Like, I recovered fast. Wow. Really fast. And. I had this dilemma because I had really gotten into music and I started to play. I was in choir and then I joined jazz band freshman se- freshman year. What'd you play? Piano. Nice. That was before the really interesting instruments started. <laughs> um, before the band department poached me from Ooh. the choir department. I actually made a bet with my band director and he freshman said- year of high school, you were making a bet with your teachers? That's absolutely. An, that's, that's Mr. Amazing. Adams, shout out to you. <laughs> hey, Mr. Adams. He said, I bet you that I'll get a tuba this summer and i said fine if you get a tuba i'll play it oh my god and the man got a tuba and you played it i did (laughs) i did i played it and i still play it yes and oddly enough that's like for some reason that's been the thing i've done the most on hip-hop records is play tuba no way to a point where i even at some some point played tuba and keys at the same time 
and like doubled bass lines and things like the last time I did that was with Jasmine Cephas Jones at Joe's Pub. I'm sorry, who? Oh, wait, that goddess, Jasmine Cephas Jones. Can you imagine if I was like, wait, what? She um, was like, what? Willie Wells? She called me Willie Wells. She's like, Willie Wells, you played a tuba? Well, because you did, you guys, not a visual medium, but you like help. One hand was doing the tuba as you're you holding the microphone and the other hand was playing like you were give, gave me the visual of how oh, you're yeah. playing two things at once. Yeah, it was going down because you only really need the right hand. If you have the piano bench, you could sit the tuba on that. Right, so but the tuba is really big. I like, know. It's very, it must be it's kind large. of a hindrance. <laughs> like, but don't. your left hand can be free. To do whatever you want with it. I chose to play bass lines on the keyboard. Uh, do you write lefty or righty? Le- uh, righty. Oh, okay. Wow. I got confused. No, yeah. I write lefty, but I'm a little ambidextrous. Like, I bowl, I bowl righty. You bowl right. You write lefty, you bowl righty. Yeah. That's, I, like, that's hard to lefty. say. lefty. Yeah. I, I switch with the mic. Yeah. I'm a little ambidextrous, weirdly. I kick with my left foot. Oh, okay. Like in kickball? In, in or just general. Windows, doors <laughs> down. Anything. Like, I just... <laughs> Yeah, I kick with my left foot. Okay. And apparently that's strange. I always thought that was like, what happens? You write with your right, you kick with your left. You write with your left, you kick with your right. Oh, yeah. I think when I went, yeah, when I went snowboarding, I think I was goofy, which they, is your left. I was just like, can we not, can we get a new name for that, please? Yeah. Goofy footed. How about we just oh, say Oh, that's lefty. not nice. It's not nice, right? That wouldn't fly these days. No. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been snowboarding quite right. some time. I was not very good at it. Anyway. Yes. So um, I had open heart surgery. Oh, my goodness. And... I was cleared for sports and I had to make a decision in high school and I chose music and I chose music Yeah, and I chose music. And, and thank you. And thank you for doing that. We're still here. Yeah, so. we're, yes. Yes, exactly. And the funny thing is, it's interesting because in choosing music, I found that A, of course, it's 100% what I'm supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. but also I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this. Okay. Let me rewind this. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, when I taste tequila... <laughs> Baby, I still see you cutting up the floor in a sorority t-shirt. That's like a big joke amongst the friends right now. The song called Tequila. Do you know Tequila? I mean... By Dan and Shay? Mm-mm. I know, like, Tequila. Wow, wait a minute. Stop the podcast. Don't actually stop the podcast. All right, let's play it, Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. Siri! I'm listening. Play Tequila by Dan and Shay. Here's Tequila by Dan and Shay. This might take a second. I can still shut down the party. I can hang with anybody. We're doing the same dance move. I can drink whiskey and red wine, champagne and online. It'll sketch on the racks and I'm fine. I'm fine. When I taste tequila, baby. Still see a cutting up the floor in a sorority t-shirt. <laughs> Sky high in Colorado. Swimming on the bottom, baby, I never leave ya. This is my part right here. Where were we? 
you chose music. I chose music. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> that started a very interesting journey. And I was telling you about Mr. Adams in the tuba. Yes. That's right. And so I played tuba all through high school, marching band. They used to call me a tuba with legs. Yes. Oh my God. Because when I marched tuba and I put the bell up, you couldn't see anything but my legs. <laughs> <laughs> and the bell is that, that the curve? The... Yeah. Okay. The cylindrical. Got it part of the tuba cool. yeah it was quite large and i was not this <laughs> is very funny and then uh so i went to berkeley college of music fast forward through that uh well not fast forward through that because that was a major major turning point in my life yeah because i was gonna say listeners i'm sure your ears perked up a little bit that's where lack went it's where mike Moyes went absolutely and that experience changed my life. The way I was introduced to Berkeley, mm-hmm. oddly enough, was from what I like to call a cold call. Okay. Because we tried to do piano lessons a couple times. My mother tried to put me in because she thought that I had something. She's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it didn't really work. The piano lessons didn't really work. Uh, not because lessons aren't good. If you want to take lessons, I encourage you to try. But it wasn't the way that inspired me. And so, oddly enough, when I became a piano teacher later on, I always tried to think, okay, aside from what's on the paper, how can I inspire these students to want to do this? Yes, discipline is important, but I learned to play because I loved what I was playing, and I picked songs that I loved. So I wanted to deconstruct the songs that my students had. So I say, what's your favorite song? Okay, we're going to get the sheet music for that. Because you know what it sounds like. So now you can see the notes on the page and see if we can put those things together. What was it about the lessons that weren't vibing with you? I was playing stuff that I had no connection to. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said I I like to create things that make people feel things, Mm -hmm. but they wanted me to play things that made me feel nothing. Yes, totally. And oddly enough, later down the line, I found things that were of the classical repertoire that definitely made me feel something. But the funny thing is, when I was taking lessons, I wasn't ready for that. I had to get through the very basic stuff uh, to, to graduate to that level. Right. Bach speaks to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Beethoven speaks to me. Stevie Wonder speaks to me. Mm-hmm. Gavin DeGraw speaks to me. Kirk Franklin speaks to me. Mm-hmm. Even Mandy Moore speaks to me. Mariah Carey speaks to me. Right. Whoever played piano from Mariah Carey definitely speaks to me. Yeah. Quincy Jones speaks to me. So, you know, I had to figure out a way to merge those things but i have a profound respect i was obsessed with counterpoint when i was in high school yeah obsessed to the point that i got counterpoint lessons outside of high school later later down the line because i just wanted to learn about bach even if i couldn't play it and what actually became an issue once i really started to play was that at that point my ear was too far developed so i would read it and struggle through it the first time and by the time i got through reading it i couldn't read it anymore because I memorized it. So I'd, I'd be reading and playing and figuring it out. And then she's like, okay, read it again. Really just follow the notes on the page. And I'd be like, okay. And so instead of rewinding a CD player and memorizing it, I was memorizing it by reading it super slowly. And then the next time I played it, I wasn't really reading anymore unless yeah. I had to check something I needed to fix. And so that was interesting in my musical development. The other thing is that I learned how to read music really by writing music. I got it. I obtained a copy of Sibelius when I was in eighth grade, ninth grade. I had Finale when I was in eighth grade. Because I obtained this copy of Sibelius, like I said, we're going to go back to when Finale was pertinent Mm -hmm. in my career later on. Yeah. But I could type the notes in this program and hear what I was typing. By the time I got to college, I could read a score way better than I could sit down and play it at a piano. 
but I can read the notes on the page and understand what was going on and hear it in my head. I was just going to say and hear it in your head. So the reason this all came about is because I was telling you how I got into piano lessons and it didn't really work for me. But because we went to the music place in Berlin, I was put on some sort of mailing list. And so we got this cold call from Berklee College of Music. Back in the day, a cold call actually meant a piece of mail in your mailbox. Mm -hmm. We see that you're interested in music. Right. Or you go to this place to take lessons, mm -hmm. so you're now automatically in our registry. <laughs> like, like two, resident piano player, at, and then your address. <laughs> yes. And I got a brochure for the Berkeley five-week summer program. And I didn't know how much that was going to change my life. Because my sister, who had a, or who has still, a marketing consulting company, at the time it was called Buzz Teen, and it changed to Buzz Marketing Group, Tina Wells. Um, she said do you want to go to this program? And I said, yeah, I think I do. I never heard of Berkeley before. And funny enough, I never told you this, Roger Brown, but um, my piano teacher at the time, he said, no, you don't want to go to Berkeley. That's, uh, I don't think it's right for you. What? Yes, that's Who what he said. Who says that about Berkeley's music? I know. Music? Maybe he was salty, but I don't know. I, know. I don't know, I don't, I don't know this person. On. I don't want to make assumptions, but it's, I mean, I don't, who says but that? But I was about? like, I'm going to try it out. Yeah, I'm going to try out Berkeley. And... Lo and behold, I get to Berkeley College of Music and I meet people that are like me yes. for once, as obsessed with music as I am for once. Yeah. I used to sit in between jazz band or vocal ensemble, whatever ending, and the start of marching band, I had maybe an hour or two and we can hang out in between the band room and the choir room. Yeah. And I would sit there with Sibelius open, writing pieces, like I knew what that meant back then. <laughs> but I knew what it felt like. Right. And we were writing pieces and or I was writing pieces. I was writing clarinet choir pieces, flute choir pieces, symphonic band pieces, orchestra pieces. Did you play ensemble. those instruments? No, <laughs> but I liked them and I thought they made cool sounds. And, and you were able to write for them? I, you have to, I'm not a musician at all. So when you say these things, that's why I have all these questions. I technically wasn't able to write for them. And the funny thing is when I would finally was admitted to Berklee College of Music, I thought, I took an orchestration class and I was like, yes, I can't wait. I'm finally going to learn how to do this the right way. Mm -hmm. And I get into the class and I realize, well, A, no, I absolutely did not know everything about this, but I knew a lot more than I gave myself credit for. Yes. And it was a lot of semantics. Mm -hmm. You know, there's terminology I hadn't quite understood yet, but the heart of what these instruments can do and their range characteristics and uh, the basics that you need to know about orchestration, I had picked up on just from asking friends that did play these instruments or having people play me their instruments and understanding the tonal characteristics of a certain range and like literally as nerdy as you can get. Yeah, no, I love that. But now I finally had, when I went to Berkeley, sidebar, when I went to Berkeley College of Music, I came with a 450-page book of sheet music that I had written, and it was a little bit of an issue because I had never really had much of it played other than maybe f five to ten pieces, and there were probably a hundred in there or so. And they're like, this is great, but there's nothing we can hear. Like, these are notes on a page. So, good, good work, but <laughs> I don't know. And... uh but that experience in writing that music was significant and taking that class, I did find out that intuition is worth a lot more than we give it credit for often. Oh, no, I'm with you on that. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it played a big role. And, and I learned a lot just from trying, just from yeah. doing it, you know. And so I attend Berkeley College of Music after I had this incredible experience of meeting people that are like me and as passionate about music as I am. And... Literally the best four years of my life. 
I learned so much. I made so many friends who, you know, employ me, who I employ. We work together. We collaborate. We run into each other at festivals. I mean, everything you could think of. Mm -hmm. The community, that community in particular, is the reason I'm sitting here today. Because the Berkeley Alumni Network is a force to be reckoned with. So I decide I'm going to move to Los Angeles. After graduation? Yes. I mean, I, I spent a little bit of time working for my mentor, still my mentor, Stephen Weber, who mm -hmm. runs Berkeley in New York now. Okay. But at the time, he was still in Boston. I, I studied music production and engineering and film scoring at Berkeley. And I was doing some work for him before moving out to Los Angeles. But the funny thing is I decided to move to Los Angeles before ever even visiting. You'd never been there? No, but I just knew that's where I wanted to go. Okay. The thing that excites me about life are the very, very scary things to do. Yeah. And so I'm the youngest of six kids, big family, mm -hmm. a lot of fun. We all love each other immensely. Mm -hmm. Four older sisters. Oh, wow. An older brother that's my best friend. He lives in Italy, but we talk every day. Where in Italy? Florence. <gasps> okay. Gorgeous city. And I knew that I wanted to go anywhere but the six hour radius in any direction where I grew up. You want to go far away. I want to go far away. Yeah. I was ready to go. And my mother encouraged that, actually. All of us went to school out of state. Wow. She wanted us to get that experience of independence and having to fend for ourselves. She's one of 14. And literally <sighs> one of the most fierce women I've ever met <sighs> in my life. What is her name? Marcia K. Wells. And she is the queen. Raise a glass. Really? Wow. That's amazing. And the funny thing is we haven't even started the journey yet. This is literally all leading up to everything that kicked this thing off. So it's about to get exciting. Okay. Hang it's on, been exciting. Listeners. <laughs> um, so I decided I'm going to move to Los Angeles and... I signed a lease before even seeing the place. I mean, actually sight unseen. You were just like, I'm oh, moving. Yeah. Like, I just... I moved out there with four of my friends. Well, many of my friends, but into a house with four of my friends from college. Okay, so, so that, they okay. all saw it. And all it was right. yeah, it was fine. So was I just think of you with like a like I'm backpacking to Los Angeles like you by yourself. But at least you were living in a place with Yeah, with people that I knew. Yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. and Steven Weber, this mentor, yeah. flew out to Los Angeles with me and introduced me to many people that he knew out there that were working in the field. It's amazing. Literally I you know According to him, he had never done that for a student before, and I am forever grateful. Hmm. And we're still close. Yes. He also took me out of the country for the first time ever. To where? Finland. Oh. A tour for the U.S. Embassy. I was going to ask you about that. You know about the tour for the U.S. Embassy? With the refugees, of course. Oh, that was when I went back with that same contact that he introduced me to years later. But that was also in Finland, right? That was also in Finland. Okay. U.S. Embassy. Okay. Same, same people because of Stephen Weber, because of that tour we did. Right. So this is 2009. Because spoiler, everybody, Will Wells does good. You co go back to your high school, you're working. I with, do, I was there I mean, last you're, week. you're like a cultural, yeah, you're. Wait, how'd you know I go back? I'm going to stop asking how you know. <laughs> because you and I both went to the Alex Lackmore School of Preparation wow. Organization. You've been in my like my ears and head and ears and 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 uh and brain and heart and soul all day. That's <laughs> what happens when you come over in the Hamilcast. Like the, this is like my whole Thursday has been like wow. Will Wells appreciation, Aww. and now I get to throw it up at you verbally. So that that's why <laughs> that's why it's like it, it's such team no chill because I've been listening to you and reading team about no you. Team no chill, let's go. It's like that's why that's why when I was like, can you tell I'm nervous? I'm super nervous. I'm so no yeah, no, I know a lot, but I, I don't want to um, get away from that. And if we do, then 
we'll get back to it. Yeah, but but if you forget it, then you definitely have to come back. Yeah, I mean, in my younger age, I was because I'm very long winded, and I like oh, details. <laughs> I love details, and I live life by timelines. I live life chronologically. I say. Yeah. Which I mean, we all live life chronologically, but I reference the life that I've lived chronologically no, as well. No, do you have ADHD too? Uh, well, my mother never let me believe that I did. Oh, okay. She's like, boy, you don't have ADHD. You just need to be challenged more. Oh, okay. And so she did. And it was great. Great. But. Doesn't matter. Maybe. Didn't mean to assign you anything. I'm just saying, because that's exactly how I, like when I tell a story, I always go back and be like, okay, so when this happened, so I want to tell the, the I want to fill in the gaps because I'm paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I, I moved, I was getting ready to move to Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and Stephen Weber went out there with me, introduced me to so many people, one of whom was my employer right after the interesting thing that I'm going to tell you. Mm -hmm. I decided to move there, but I I was working for Stephen actually. So that was the last connection to Boston that I had post Berkeley. And so I was working, I was his assistant. It was my first experience actually being an assistant post-college, which I really needed. Uh, For many reasons, I learned a lot of valuable lessons with that. Mm -hmm. And that lasts until about first week of October, 2011. Okay. I signed a lease beginning September 1st, 2011. So I was gone for a while, but I was like, all right, I'll make it out to Los Angeles when I need, when I can. Like I'm working, I'm busy, I'm happy. I just got out of school and I'm I'm working. doing the thing. This is great. And I was finishing producing an album uh, for Life is Good Kids Foundation with some incredible artists from Haiti. I had flown down to Haiti that summer and spent a while like working on this beautiful project and do you want to say the name of it uh it was called guerrier joie i believe Uh, i don't know if it ever came out that happens a lot by the way in my industry we work on things and sometimes they don't see the light it might be out though i don't know yeah so so you guys have like pilot season in the music industry too where like you you can work on something and then it just (laughs) never sees the light of day i have a cd of it So I know CDs were made. I don't know if it was distributed oh, on cool. the internet. I just always want to give you the opportunity if you, like, you worked oh, on cool. something important, like say it. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, yeah. No, absolutely. That project was definitely an important stepping stone in my development as a producer and as a recording engineer, as a mixing engineer, um, and all the different things that I've dabbled with, and some, uh, some of which I've left in the dabbling phase in my career and, and call on my professional peers to handle. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but... Okay, so we've arrived in Los Angeles. 2011. 2011. Okay. First week of October. So there's one week before I'm going to move to Los Angeles. I'm preparing to ship 22 boxes of things from Boston to Los Angeles. And I get a call from Karen Bell. <coughs> I was talking. I was having too much fun. I was getting horse. <laughs> Hip-hop horse. Hip-hop horse. Let's go. I get a call from Karen Bell. You know Bell. that's going to be the new hashtag with a different spelling, with horse spelling H-O-A. <laughs> Right, right hip hop horse. Yeah. I got hip hop horse. I'm gonna use both hashtags. Well, so <laughs> Karen Bell from uh, Berkeley. She was at the time she was in charge of alumni affairs, and she was good friends with Alex Lackamore. And she calls me and she says, "A gentleman named Alex Lackamore <laughs> is looking for a music department assistant for a show he's working on at the Amundsen Theater." in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I know you're moving out there. Would you like to be recommended? And I said, absolutely. I'll be there in seven days. I'll take any job that I can get in Los Angeles. Did you know this gentleman, Alex Lackmore? Was he, did you know that name? Did you, got it? Nothing. Right. And he was working on Bring It On the Musical. And so fast forward, I get to Los Angeles. I have about seven or eight days to get acclimated. I think I arrived on October 7th, 2011. Mm -hmm. And my first day was October 15th. 2011 and i show up to the amundsen all excited 
to have a job. Mm-hmm. Never imagined I'd be working on a Broadway thing. I did do a show off Broadway, mm-hmm. kind of not intentionally. My last semester of college, uh, a person that I actually used to play wedding gigs with, my buddy Quasi, uh, we called him Q, invited me to be the associate conductor. And I think partially because of my copywork skills, like I said, I've been using Sibelius yeah. since I was in early days of high school. And he knew I could make scores and keep things organized and all of that. And, and so he asked me to be his associate conductor and also play, by the way. So we did a reading at a black box theater uh, of this play called 19 Secrets by Cynthia Stevens. And I loved it. And it was a quick and short experience. And I was like, great, now I'm going to go to Los Angeles to make records. And I arrived there, go to the Amundsen Theater, I meet Alex Lackamore. Immediately, one of the most gracious, sweet, brilliant, detailed, incredible, and makes you feel so included. Yes. So important. Yes. And makes you feel like you have something to offer that's really of value. And so for me, fresh out of college, very excited to be working in general, to have a job. And also a part of something that's so much bigger was it was really a special thing for me. And to have a leader like him to observe, to learn from, to pay attention to and pick things up. I mean, anything you can think of, uh, you know, was was really, I feel like it was sent from the heavens yeah, totally. <laughs> and I didn't know that I was going to have such a connection to uh, this Broadway community down the line we're talking eight years later yeah you know and and that was really necessary I think for my development as a musician as well because somebody that learned by ear but also had copywork skills and, and, and had uh, what I needed really to assist somebody like that in terms of being able to prepare scores, you know, before it got to somebody like Emily Grishman, who was the music copyist, or to be able to prepare mixes before it got to somebody like Tim, uh, who mixed, uh, whether it was radio promo. And that's the other thing about Lack. He, he's loyal. Yes. They're loyal people, all of them. Lack, yes. Lynn, Tommy Kale, yeah. Andy, they have their squads and... Mm-hmm. and they call upon them. They they rock with them. They stick with them. And mm-hmm. it's really a beautiful thing to see. And that will be very important later on. Earmark that. Okay. Wait, gotta all right, I gotta get a pen and paper and that's right. Make these stick notes. it in your ear. Okay. <laughs> um because, you know, working working with Alex in that time, you know, I was the music department assistant, but the thing about him and what he does is when he recognizes that A, you're willing to go above and beyond. Mm-hmm. That that's awesome. That's great. But B, you have the skills to actually go above and beyond. Okay, next step up. C, he can challenge you to go even beyond that. That's something special. And that's when a leader can pull the best out of you that you didn't even know that you could achieve. And that's exactly what he did throughout that entire process working Mm -hmm. at the Amundsen Theater to the point where we finished the show, bring it on opened. And I was like, great, what happens now? He's like, oh, yeah. I mean, I knew that it was over, but, you know, I wasn't done. Yeah, of course. I was like, okay, what's next? You know, I was so excited and we had this incredible experience. And he said, well, I'm working on this thing in New York with Lynn. And, you know, I, I I think it would be great if you can work on it with us as well we have the show at jazz at the lincoln center in january mm-hmm. this was de- this was the end of november uh just leading into december for this january show mm-hmm. 
And I was like, well, I'm kind of bi-coastal right now. Wink, wink. Yeah. I mean, I could be on one coast. I'm, bi- co- I'm, I'm bi-coastal. I'm yeah. bi-coastal, me. Yeah. I'm not committed to any coast. Yeah. But, you so know. if you need me, I'm there. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I was in New York and we started rehearsing for Lynn's American Songbook Series show at Jazz at the Lincoln Center. This is December 2011. I show up to Lax House and I meet Chris Jackson. Okay. I meet uh, Mandy Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. I meet Rebecca Naomi Jones. Right. I meet, uh, I didn't meet Shockwave there. I met him later at the band rehearsals. I meet. Um, Maybe a little JMI action happening. Yeah, yeah. Jay-Z absolutely. He yeah. came through and it, it was <laughs> such love. And I could tell they had been a part of something together. They had accomplished something before that I didn't fully understand in the heights. Of course. And uh, it, was, it felt like family. Yeah. And so I'm working on this thing. By the way, I completely skipped the part where I met Lynn at the Amundsen Theater. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll throw in the satisfied rewind that I have. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> She's ready for it. So I meet Andy and Lynn, and it was, it was just a hang. Like every time I would come into rehearsal at the Amundsen Theater, Lynn would go, "Well, wells," because there was this line from "Bring It On," I guess, where a girl goes, "Well, well," and uh, it was so much fun. And Tom Kitt was there as well, of course, brilliance. And Amanda Greenberg, and I met so many cool like young people. That's where I met Ariana Debose for the first time. The bullet. I mean, Ariana. That is also where I met. I feel like I met Stephanie back then, too. Steph Club, probably. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I met, if you didn't meet her there, then I don't know where you. That's I mean. where I met Andres Ferrero for the first time because he was in the pit. No one does. I mean, Andres Ferrero is one of my favorite people, but no one does a better impression of him than Alex Lackmore. <laughs> I mean, they've been in the game together for a minute. Yeah, they're rushed. A hot minute. They're BFFs. Yeah. And like people, other people that I became friends with for years to come, like Nick Womack, mm-hmm. who later on when I met Anthony Ramos, you know, they had known each other. I guess maybe Nick had read a part or done a part. Yeah. Uh, that Anthony would do later. I, I don't know the exact story. Wait, wait, wait. You might. Did I say it wrong? I said Ramos before. It's Ramos? It's both. Okay. It is, right? It's both. Okay. I just got super tense and super... No, no, no. It's both. It I is. call him Ramos. I stick to one. I stay consistent, but like he'll say Ramos sometimes. He will? But like when when he and Jasmine come over, haha, hello universe, um... I'm going to ask him what he prefers. And like I'm say saying, like, like Jillian, Jillian with a G and a soft G and Pensavali. I've been called every combination. I mean, I was definitely calling you Gillian. <laughs> in your head? In, in, on Instagram. I was like, oh yeah, Gillian. <laughs> yeah, but you write it out. I didn't hear what you said. <laughs> um, it, it, it's important to me to say everyone's name correctly. Absolutely. So, um, okay. And God bless Anthony for giving us flexibility. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I can't wait, Anthony, to talk to you and you set me straight. <laughs> He's going to say it's both. Okay. Maybe he won't. Maybe let me, he won't. Let me give him the space. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll ask him when he comes over. Yeah. With Jasmine. <laughs> With Jasmine. <laughs> or not, or whatever. You guys can each have your own episode. I mean, it's fine. Funny story. I met Jasmine at Berkeley College of Music 
I don't know if it was freshman or sophomore year. Mm-hmm. It was early on in that range. I always forget. But when I saw her at the public theater, I was like, what? Jasmine? Wait, so you didn't know? All right. So we talked a little bit about this. Well, we haven't we gotten to, in my chronology. We haven't gotten to the right, public right. theater yet. So but we're talking we about skip. Andreas and then Jasmine. And then so you guys. OK. All right. Just keep going. Because she left Berkeley early and went to acting school. And <laughs> lo and behold. Yeah, no, I, I thought that when it was done, it was kind of done. But at the same time, I knew it wasn't done because after this incredible experience of helping Lack put another thing together, we had another one under our belt, <laughs> Jazz at the Lincoln Center, uh-huh. early January, all these songs that I thought were brilliant. Right. I had these demos. I transcribed the first versions yes. of... The transcriptions? Right Hand Man. So important. Of You'll Be Back. <sighs> of you know lack had his brilliant finale template and i remember him teaching me how to uh, say goodbye <laughs> wow <laughs> welcome to the hamlet gasp <laughs> oh my goodness i remember him teaching me how to set a lyric from a word document in finale because he had all these templates that were um incredible and you know, giving me these demos that Lynn had from these songs and saying, hey, I need to orchestrate these for this show. Yeah. Um, could you transcribe these? You know, get the rhythms. We notate them with X's and finale for the raps. And um, I got helpless. I actually have a list of everything that I got. Okay. I remember listening to Wasserman's Hamilcast and he was so prepared. He was so prepared. And I'm all, I'm, I'm just yapping, flapping the gums. You're, you are not it. at all. Are you kidding I'm me? I'm just yapping. I'm, here I'm with, like, I, I, like with my... I'm all about the heart and the stories and the... The the no, dry that's the tra- where I yeah. live. What are you kidding? But you know, let me let me get to the you know. I know they want some, uh, you know, they want some juice. Let me see if I got the juice. I don't know. Okay, great. So I did my shot. Right hand man. You'll be back. Helpless. Valley Forge. There was a version of that, and I think Len released these demos. Um, that. I was obsessed with for years. For, I was obsessed with all these demos that I had. Congress, I beg of you, justify your existence. All you men are just a bunch of indigenous infants. Unite these states, give them stakes in our resistance. Do you have no influence at all, you fucking skin flints? Hamilton, tone it down. But sir. Alex, listen, there's only one way for us to win this. Provoke outrage, outright. Don't engage, strike by night. Remain relentless till their troops take flight. Make it impossible to justify the cost of the fight. Outrun, outrun, outlast, outlast. Hit them quick, get out fast. Uh-huh. Stay alive until this horror show is past. We're gonna fly a lot of flags half mast. Yeah. And like, still my favorite thing. And he, my man's just let the track ride out. Yes. For like a minute after the lyric was done. I love that. And I'm from South Jersey, like, you know, low key Philadelphia. And I'd be driving in Philly and I'd see Valley Forge on the street signs, on the highway signs. And I'd be like, while listening to these demos. Because after I did that show, for the next three years, I listened to these demos on repeat. And so when that show finished, I told Alex, I said, yo, Lack, <laughs> whenever this thing is ready to go, I know Lynn says it's not going to be a musical, fine, but whatever it becomes, hit me up and I'll drop whatever I'm doing to come work on this. Mm-hmm. 
I'm obsessed because especially the type of music that I like to listen to, the, the way that I like to listen to rap, you know, my influences, Tupac, M, Biggie, people that rap like that and use intelligent rhyme scheme. And to tell a story. To tell a story. Yeah. Exactly. He was doing that and telling a story about history and I was paying attention because he was delivering it in a way that, A, I can consume everything and totally retain and remember and it. retain and remember <laughs> totally. and it was interesting and it felt fresh and it felt new and i was like yo i i need to be a part of this yeah and three years later alex <laughs> lackamore called me and said hey so this thing became a musical and we're going to the public theater and i'd like you to come work on it you we'll win. figure out what your <laughs> position is going to be but like i know that i want you i mean it was three years later. You were in a different time, chronologically, you Absolutely know, in a different, a different mindset and time of your life. So you get this phone call. I mean, and the thing is, I've said this a zillion times on the podcast, or people have said it to me, like, when Alex calls, when Lynn calls, when oh, yeah. Tommy calls, you, you go. go. It's time. I had to have a lot of hard conversations. Yeah? At that time, I had a studio at, or I had a room, I should say, at a studio called The Village Recorder. Mm-hmm. In West Los Angeles, my studio was next door to a guy named King Calais, Kobe mm-hmm. Calais' dad, oh, who wow. produced Rumors for Fleetwood Mac. Look. Down the hall from John Mayer. Upstairs from Ed Cherney, who mixed the Rolling Stones, who was down the hall from John Elasia, who produced uh, Room for Squares, Continuum. So you're surrounded by a lot of... It was an incredible place to be. Tina Morris, shout yeah. out to her, the studio manager yes. who allowed me to be there, and, and Jeff, uh, who owned the studio. I mean, and that's it was an like, incredible community, and it was a difficult decision to make. And this is a couple years after my first big tour. I remember telling Alex all excited, I'm going on tour with LMFAO. This so you were in great. touch over these three years. Absolutely. Yeah. And Alex kept sending me work, as he does so graciously. Um, and that was my first experience working with Quincy Jones and music directing an artist that he had and doing a studio session with him. And my first experience in the studio with Barbara Streisand. Doing a very modest job, by the way. I was in charge of setting up her recording booth and labeling her headphone mix. It was nothing glorious. I didn't have an important job. Don't that, even That's a very intimate Don't thing, even though. think I'm credited on the album, which is fine, but Which is kind of a deserve it's a very intimate and important thing that you did to make sure that the person who's about to sing their face off feels comfortable and knows that, you know, mid 70 degrees. I think, I think it's a big deal, you know? And I, I also understand because I worked for that studio, Woodshed Recording, who the mentor, Richard Gibbs, who owns that studio, who Steven Weber introduced me to on that trip. I said, I come back to it. It all comes back. Um, you know, there's a lot of studios that these artists go to and a lot of employees and it's really hard to keep track. So I get it. Yeah. And that credit means a lot more to the person being credited than perhaps the company who has to follow up on all this administration. Um, but that being said, you're right. You yeah. got to make the artist comfortable because that inspires a performance. And uh, a week later, I met Riza from Wu-Tang, <laughs> oh who, funny enough, a week prior had just let go of his engineer and I was supposed to be the second engineer on the session. Next thing you know, I'm engineering the session. Next thing you know, I'm his engineer. Next thing you know, we're recording A Better Tomorrow, the what was supposed to be the last Wu-Tang album. Yeah, and, and air quotes. You guys can't see it, but we'll right, air quotes. I did air quotes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was a journey, and all these things had happened. And, you know, I felt like I was in a place I finally had a room. I was paying for something. It was the first time in my life 
I had a studio that was not in my bedroom. Yes. When I was a child, I moved into the basement and I made the basement my studio. <sighs> as many do. And then in college, my room, I had all my gear. Mm-hmm. After college, in my room, I had all my gear, my mm-hmm. recording desk. And finally, for once, when I went home, work was still at work and I was at home. Yes. And, you know, I had that room for quite a while and Alex called me and I was like, oh, I'm leaving all this. It's time to go to New York. Yeah, bye. I sublet a spot in Harlem. My friend Lauren Desberg, Mm -hmm. brilliant singer. And she was in Los Angeles for the month. And I was like, great, I'll take your spot for that month and I'll commute to the public theater every day. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I mean, the rest is history. Get it? The, The rest is history. History. Has it time? <laughs> Let's go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely reached a, a place of self-sustaining in the career at that point. Yeah. And but none of it was more important to me than going to work for this man who I had so much respect for, who taught me so much beyond just organization and leadership and. Uh, musicianship and Mm -hmm. skill but also how to make people feel like the best versions of themselves while you're implementing all of these things leadership and musicianship and your skills and all that and so if he calls i gotta go yep because that's lack totally and so now i'm in new york and now we're at the public theater (laughs) yes wait wait real quick because i i think we we kind of just went over like your experience with Andreas and and Jasmine pre Hamilton, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that for Absolutely. just a couple minutes? Because I I love this. Like before, you guys knew what the thing was going to be. Yeah, you guys all knew each other. Yeah, I, maybe, I maybe mean, not together. I mean, you knew them independently, but I just right. I, I just love. Well, this. or you had had significant experiences together, mm-hmm. and definitely like you know if you had said Andreas's name I was like oh man we had such a good time at the Albinson <laughs> Theater I love him man he was so I remember going to get his snare drum from SIR because at the time he endorsed the Yamaha and he needed a new snare and I was like yes absolutely I'm yes. the music department yeah. assistant oh you know God. and I'm like hyped to do anything so yeah, I'm like yeah, yeah of course I'll go get your snare totally you know and and just like sharing stories and then you know we see each other years later Jasmine seeing her at Berkeley College of Music hanging out on the Berkeley beach you know and and just always seeing each other maybe never having in-depth conversations uh-huh. or getting to know each other that well yeah but like it's like oh yeah that's jazz like yeah. what, what are you doing I here mean, of course and yeah it was just really special coming to this point of arrival mm-hmm. early january 2015 <laughs> at the public theater first day and and the funny thing is i had this realization at that time arriving to the public theater because i like i said i had that studio in los angeles yeah and I had a, a decent amount of clients at that time, and I had to let them know, look, you know, look, I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to be gone for a little bit. <laughs> and I was flying back and forth because I was working on a boy well, band. Back when you thought it would just be a little bit, right. <laughs> not become Beatlemania all over again. Right. Well, I, I was working on this boy band with uh, a gentleman named Nazri, who's in a band called Magic. Mm-hmm. Why you gotta be so rude? Don't you know you? That popped yes. off the summer of 2014, and we were 
uh, and I was working with his brother Niall as well, and we were developing this boy band, and that was in full swing, and I was seeing them weekly, like maybe 20 hours a week, five days a week, at least four hours a day, and... I had to let them know, like, look, I have to go work on this thing in New York, but I'll fly back as much as I can to keep this thing going. So you're I was like, going I back and forth. Leave. And they're like, Will Wells, instead of Alexander. And you're like, <laughs> I have to leave. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right? It was exactly like that, probably. Alexander. <laughs> it's good to see your face. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I haven't seen the show in a long time. When was the last time you saw it? Probably Anthony's. No, I saw it. after. No. Anthony's final performance, I think, is the last time I saw. 2016? You should go. I need to go. Have I been? No, I haven't been since then. You should go. Yeah, it's so, really good. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go. It's been a while. Yeah. But I went to New York to work on the show, and I had to leave a lot of things that were important to me behind in Los Angeles for the time being. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fly back whenever I could, and Lack was cool with that, and he understood that. You know, the career was at a point where I was balancing things and yeah. I did. I had established a life there. I mean, he uh, knows that more than anyone. Absolutely. I mean, so many people. Know, I mean, he I don't I, I really don't even know how he does it, but yeah. he's always somewhere. Literally. Yeah. And every time I come to New York, I'd be like, Lack, do you want to go get lunch? Can we meet up? Just because it was always awesome to catch up with him. I haven't seen Alex in a while either. I saw him at Kennedy Center Honors, actually. Oh. In December, yeah, yeah, I went down with Anthony and Jazz and all. You know, oh, all yeah. the homies were in the Heights that Steph Clam was. At. Yeah. Oh yeah. The whole thing. And yeah. I went to see. Oh, well, she, that was before Kennedy Center. Yeah, that was before Kennedy Center Honors yeah. as well. Yeah. But I did see in the Heights, but I don't know if I saw. Oh, Lack the Kennedy during Center that. Honors. Yes, 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 and not mm-hmm. the in the Heights. Yeah, right. I was conflating them in my yeah. mind. Yeah. And so I was at the public theater, and the beautiful thing about the public theater is we all like shared the same dressing slash backstage not mm-hmm. dressing room but like the backstage area so we were all hanging out and chris jackson goes hey will man <laughs> have you heard clipping i was like no i, I haven't he's like yes yeah, the V's man bro come on man that's a fantastic c jack impression oh man you got you gotta hear clipping and i listened to it and i was like whoa, whoa. shooter 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 you mean it's a 12 tone row if you didn't know that rhymed <laughs> but yeah see jack put me on game about clipping right and it was a beautiful thing yeah Shots at the Grammy. We'll just did a shot of tequila. David, come over and bring your Grammy. We'll do shots. Hey, bro. Grammy. <laughs> like David got- Diggs is listening to this podcast. He is at one zillion percent not. Hey, David. <laughs> where you at, bro? We did a show last month. Um, hi. I saw you. Love it, Jefferson. Oh. I think you're really great. I also love clipping. I think you're really amazing. I was listening to clipping before Hamilton. It's fine. <laughs> Kind of low-key 
feel like I should do the technical stuff, you should come to my studio. What? I mean, yeah. Well, you act like that's like, yeah, of course you can. I mean, my drinks travel. And we don't need the drinks. <laughs> we don't. We don't. We need the all. personnel. Yeah. But yes. Okay, fine. No, we and are literally such anytime. Ner- we are want, like leaning it. We are such nerds about all of this. We I don't know when you so... want to put this thing out, but like you can definitely come to my studio. Okay, I can't believe it, but Will Wells was serious about that. And that's what the next episode is. It's me and Will Wells in his studio. So here's what happened. We were going through all the samples that he brought on his laptop, but it just wasn't working because the setup, as I learned in Will's studio, is un. Believable. He has multiple computer screens. He's going back and forth. There are all these programs at work. And it just really didn't make sense to not go to his studio and do this. So in the middle of figuring out how we were really going to make this work and make the best two episodes I possibly could with Will Wells, Mike came home with pizza. So we took a break, had some pizza, figured out the plan for me coming to his studio. But before he left, we did take questions from the Patreon peeps. So here's what you get next episode. Me and Will Wells hanging out in his studio, listening to samples, going through the process, getting super nerdy with it, and it's the best. And then it ends taking questions from the Patreon peeps. But that part was recorded when he was over at my apartment. Don't worry, I'll go through this all again in the next episode so everyone is on the same page. So until then, I'm going to put the finishing touches on Will's second episode. You guys, the samples, you have no idea. It was such a cool experience. I can't wait to share it with you. And thank you so much for hanging with me on this journey and um, going with the twists and turns. Isn't this the best? I love it. I love making this podcast for you. So yes, I'm going to get back to work. Thank you so much for listening. I love you. I will talk to you soon. I'm G.Penn. is brought to you by my love of the thing, TM, and my complete lack of chill. Please join me in raising all the glasses to Sir Alex Lacamoire for generously making my intro music and this custom Yorktown arrangement that I will never, ever get over. Thank you, thank you, thank you. To become a Patreon peep and get the chance to ask questions to guests, get tons of behind-the-scenes access, and join the best, kindest, and most welcoming corner of the internet, go to patreon.com slash thehamilcast. I love you guys. Thank you. Hashtag Team No Chill. I'm at The Hamilcast on all social media, and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. The Residuals is my web series with my husband, Mike, you know Mike, and can be found at theresiduals.tv. True Crime Obsessed is my true crime comedy podcast with my podcast soulmate and Broadway royalty, Patrick Hines of Theater People and Broadway Backstory fame. Thank you again so much for listening. It means the world to me. To the revolution!